Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today I'm with Heather Fontaine, my awesome aunt. And she has type 1 diabetes and is kind enough to tell us about her experience. Thanks so much, Heather. No problem. Well, before we dive into your experience with, with diabetes, can you give us a little background on yourself? Okay, I live in Salt Lake City. I am 37 years old. I have two sons. I am a single mom, and I have had many careers in my life. I was a professional dancer at one point. I worked in a few different nonprofits, uh, helping with marketing and public relations and things like that. So I've gotten to do a lot of fun things in my life and have some pretty cool experiences. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, so Heather, when when did you first find out you had diabetes? When did it all begin? I was diagnosed with diabetes when I was 13 years old, so 24 years ago, and I had felt tired a lot. I had months where I was getting really skinny. Um, people would talk about how they could see different lines and bones in my back because I was a dancer, and so they would see me in more fitted clothing and things like that, and uh the interesting thing I remember after I found out that I had diabetes was that I didn't see any of that. I just saw me. Um, but people would kind of notice some of the physical changes. And I just remember feeling like I knew something was wrong. And I knew that my body wasn't working the way it was supposed to. But I didn't understand what was wrong and how to fix it. I was tired all the time. I couldn't even get through a 45-minute class without falling asleep oh. at that time in my life. Um, so my seventh grade year in math class was a little rough <laughs> and, <laughs> and I just remember I would have these weird cravings and things would taste off. Like I couldn't drink milk anymore because it tasted weird to me and, uh, just different things like that. And I, I was actually teaching a dance that I'd choreographed and I rolled over my ankle and basically from my knee down felt like when your foot falls asleep and it just tingled. Mm -hmm and my parents were going to help my sister move out of state that weekend, and my mom was concerned, and, you know, they had some suspicions about different things that might be going on with me, but after this had been going on for probably about four months, they decided to have me get checked out mm -hmm. um, because my leg wasn't healing, and I was actually, I was unable to, like, flex or point my foot, I couldn't articulate, and um, I was kind of adjusting how I would walk because of it. So we went to the doctor's office, and he did several different tests. He called me that day and said that I needed to be taken to the hospital. My blood sugar was 970, and that wow. <laughs> I had type 1 diabetes. So that's how I found out. Wow. Yeah. Did you – sorry, just uh, – you said 970, like 970? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that is – that's high. <laughs> It's very high. Uh, from what I've been told, and granted, I was an active kid, so your body can withstand a lot because of that. But what I was told is that a lot of people can actually start going into comas and having really serious effects at about the 500 range. So if that helps at all to kind of put that into perspective, a normal human being that their body is functioning properly with their pancreas will probably be between about 60 and 100. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you didn't, so you didn't have, besides the tingling in your leg and that issue, you didn't have anything and the tiredness, nothing else, like no big emergency happened prior to that. 
No, I walked into the hospital. I was fully conscious. A lot of people, especially at the blood sugar level that I was at, have a far more traumatic story of like being in and out of consciousness and things like that. But um, mine was actually pretty simple. I walked into the hospital. They kind of verified the the diagnosis. They gave me a shot of insulin. I never was even on an IV. And my blood sugar came right down and they started training me. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah, so so they started training you. Yeah, so what was that like? Like, what was your day to day life after that? Did you feel good moving forward after they trained you on insulin therapy and talked with you about it? So I was very lucky. Good doctors make a huge difference when you have a life changing diagnosis, and I was lucky that when I went into the emergency room that day, Doctor Rob Lindsay, who is now retired but he was an incredible physician and uh, he was the person that I happened to be with. And he was my doctor literally until I had my oldest son at like 30. (laughs) But um, he walked me through what it meant. They gave me a lot of like informational materials. I was in the hospital for three days as they had me trained to kind of understand what it meant, what giving shots would mean. When I first was diagnosed, uh, they didn't have Lantus yet. That hadn't been created yet, which allows you to have a little bit more normalcy as far as what the average normal person goes through. So I had to have shots that were timed, which meant I had to eat at certain times of day. Oh, okay. I had to have the same carb counts, things like that for every meal, um, based on like what we felt we needed for different time frames during the day. So I went through all of that training and learning kind of how to decide which foods to kind of input into those spots so that I could make sure that I wasn't having too many carbs or too little and then learning how to adjust when things don't add up the way they're supposed to because everything is impacted um or I should say everything impact your diabetes uh your hormones can do that your exercise for the day from day to day can do that what you're eating you know all of that kind of stuff comes into play so it's a really big balancing act and Again, I I learned how to give myself shot, and no one since then has ever given me a shot. Hmm. Um, and I I felt when I left the hospital, I felt pretty good. I I got to have my friends come and play with me. They they came up to visit me, and we would be like exploring the hospital at Primary Children's and going yeah. to different places. And they all learned how to do shots and kind of a fun, I guess, trivia. I don't know if it's fun because it's not great but the three main people that were similar in age my sister Chantel my friend Tracy and my friend Amanda all have been impacted by diabetes later on in their life every one of them learned how to give me shots they all visited me in the hospital several times while I was there um one of them married a diabetic and two of them have daughters that have been diagnosed with it wow so it's kind of a funny thing how the synchronicities in life work yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious. So you said you had to eat foods at specific times and have a specific carb count. Yes. How long was that? Like, how long did were you on that regimen? I was on that regimen until Lantus came out, or I guess was at least widely enough accepted that my doctor felt comfortable changing me to that, which for me was about my senior year of high school. So five years later? Maybe six, okay. five or six. Okay. Right in that range. Okay. And can you tell, so listeners are familiar what Lantus is and how that's different? 
So Lantus is, it's a long-acting insulin that basically lasts roughly about 24 hours. So you take one shot per day, and that is supposed to imitate what your body does naturally, where it sort of keeps a baseline of insulin in your body. And then you take shots as you need to, to compensate for the food that you eat. Oh, interesting. So the idea is that where your body will automatically do that, I'm sort of doing it manually. And by changing to that regimen, it allows a lot more freedom for the diabetic to be more of a normal person, to eat when they need to, to eat what they need to, to make adjustments and things like that for their body so that it can work better for them. Did you feel like you were able to live more of the life you wanted with that? or like Definitely. What- Um, I feel I actually, one of the things that is hard, no matter what type of regimen you're on for diabetics, it can be difficult to maintain a weight that you like to maintain just because insulin is often used by bodybuilders and things like that. And it, it helps with growth. Um, and so having the ability to kind of adjust things based on my actual hunger made a big difference in things as far as being able to maintain a weight that I was more comfortable in. Uh, I also, again, being able to have that freedom where I, I didn't have to worry about if I ate the same thing at the same time and, and being able to have my activity level and things like that be more adjustable. Yeah. So it definitely gave me more of a sense of a normal person. And I feel like it gave me a lot of free freedom. Okay. Very cool. And that's great. That's, that's great to hear and it's cool to hear how like medical technology can can make differences like that that as we improve medical technology it makes difference in the in individuals day-to-day lives it definitely does and beyond even just that i mean if you look at things like testers when i first was diagnosed the testers i was using took about 30 seconds to tell you what your blood sugar level was uh when i my last tester took five seconds I now use a CGM, which if if you're familiar with that at all, basically what it is is it's a sensor that you have on you all the time. It's continuous glucose monitoring, and it will actually alert you when you're high or when you're low to help you kind of keep in that range and keep you more stable. And that's been a big thing for a lot of people that's really helped them to kind of get that that level maintenance that you need in order to have a, a healthier lifestyle and a longer life as a diabetic. Yeah, very cool. So you brought up the CGM, the continued glucose monitoring. Uh, yes. And so knowing you, I know that you still use injections to this day. Yes, I'm creeped out by pumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other people I know with diabetes all use pumps. So what yes. What was your experience? Like when did pumps come into being a, a, a treatment? Were you offered that? Why did you decide to stay with injections? Uh, what was that like? I'm not 100%. Pumps were never very interesting to me at all because the idea of having a tube in me, the tubes fall out. People, A lot of people I know have struggles with that. And having to have like a pager all the time just seemed really annoying. And maybe it's because I was a dancer and I imagine all these things that could happen. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure there are dancers that do it and do great, but... That's my hang up. And so it was never really an option that I wanted. It was one that I had the option of. I was told by Dr. Lindsay at one point that pumps are reserved basically for people that are really struggling with control or people that have really good control because it, it kind of allows you to not have to do as much 
work in some sense of the, of the word, you know? Okay. Um, and so that was kind of the initial thing. And I think it's become a much more common way for people to do it, but I've always actually really felt like the way that I've done it has worked really well for me. And so I guess I kind of just go on the, if it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I've had really good control throughout my life. For the most part, I've my A1Cs and things like that for 25 years, I've been pretty solid. So, of course, like anybody, I have my moments where things aren't perfect or the system doesn't seem to be working the way you anticipate. You know, you add the numbers, but the sum doesn't come up right. But uh, it does seem like what I've been doing has worked really well for me. And so it hasn't ever felt like it was a need to go that direction. Okay. Okay. Very cool to hear. So you mentioned that you've always uh, taken care of it well. And for, for context for listeners, I've heard from other family members that you've always been very on top of your injections and your, your blood sugars. Even with that, though, have you had any diabetic emergencies? I, I mean, I think, unfortunately, when you have type 1 diabetes, I don't know if there's a total way to prevent that. And, of course, you know, now that you have CGMs and some of that technology, some of that can maybe be prevented even more than it once was. But anytime you're doing things on your own, there's always going to be a few things like that. I can count on one hand the number of times that I've had a serious low. Uh, so in that sense, I feel like I've done pretty well. The first one I had was probably the scariest because I didn't know what that meant. I remember having a really strange dream where I was trying to sing and I couldn't sing and nothing would come out but this weird noise. And when I finally woke up, I was completely paralyzed. I couldn't even speak. My sister and my mom were there and my sister was the one that ended up kind of treating me and trying to help me to get sugar in that because she was the one that stayed a little more calm. And they had the paramedics come and they checked me out and all of that and that was how I learned certain, I, I feel like, I'm sure they told me, but I don't remember knowing that I could get paralyzed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I haven't heard of that outside of your experience. That's, that's crazy. That must have been really scary. Well, and part of what woke them up was that they said I made it a noise that was like a cat noise. <laughs> Interesting. So I was actually making some noise in my sleep as I was having this like strange dream. So that was the first one that was a little scary. I've I've had, like I said, I've had a couple other ones. I have had one time where I woke up and I was surrounded by paramedics. And I, the scariest part about that was, I honestly, that was one of those times where I didn't know what was going on or why. They just were all there. Um, And my husband at the time had noticed some interesting breathing patterns and things like that. And when he couldn't get me to respond, he called the paramedics. Oh, okay. Um, so I've, I've had a few, but for the most part, I've actually done really well. And the thing that I've always struggled with the most is getting low overnight. Okay. okay. And so most of my experiences where I've had serious lows have typically been like early morning hours. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Before I have time to actually register. Uh, the other one that's maybe significant, the only time I ended up going to the hospital was, uh, again, with my my husband at that time. And I woke up to get dressed, and he said I collapsed, and I actually started seizing. Oh, wow. 
And so again, he called the paramedics and in that particular instance, they had me go to the hospital because they wanted to check me for a little bit longer, make sure everything was okay. Um, that's the only time I've been to the hospital related to diabetes since I was diagnosed. Okay. Wow. And that, and that's, that's just hearing that it, you know, sounds scary, but it just to clarify for, for listeners and other people, you say that having diabetes, that's almost inevitable. I mean, everybody's body responds differently, but having a serious low as a diabetic is bound to happen at some point. Okay. And I think that's assuring for other people to hear that. Yeah, I, I feel like I have not talked to one person who has had type 1 diabetes that hasn't had some experience. And most of them have probably had far far more than I have. But, um, I mean, I'm sure there's got to be someone out there that's the exception to the rule, but I have yet to meet them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't met anyone. I guess I've never really asked about emergencies <laughs> to, the, to other people besides yourself, so... Yeah, but I very that's interesting to hear, and I think that's good to be able to express. Um, so outside of emergencies, just maybe it's with your physicians, or and you spoke very highly of your physician, uh, Doctor Lindsay, and or maybe it's with day to day things. Is there anything you'd go back and change if you could from your experience with diabetes? Well, the easy one there, as far as an answer, would be to just not have it. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like, again, there are so many things. Our bodies are amazingly complex, as I'm sure, especially doing these podcasts. If you didn't know before, you know now, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) um, I think there's so many things that can go wrong that I feel like in the grand scheme of things, this really is the type of condition that you can live a full life. You can thrive. You can do so much more than just survive. And I think that as I look at my own life and there's still a lot more to go, I've been so lucky and I've had so many good things that I've been able to do. Like, so obviously if I didn't have to do this, I wouldn't, but I think we all have the ability to find the strength when we need it to do hard things. And I feel like that's something that I've gotten far more benefit by knowing that I am capable and I can do things like that than I have by never having those experiences. So in some ways I feel like, I guess I choose to look at the positive, so I don't really have a, well, this is what I do differently. I mean, I'm sure there are things, especially early on, you know, we all are, it's a game. You have to be willing to play the game, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, and I think the hardest thing to get used to is learning to accept that because our bodies are complex, that we can do everything right some days, and it still doesn't work out the way it's supposed to, and you have to kind of allow for your body to be a work in progress and know that you can do it again tomorrow and you don't give up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that. I think that's very inspiring to, to talk about that. So I have a question. If you feel comfortable about talking about it, but my friend has brought up recently to me about some of the inflation with uh, insulin prices. Okay. Um, what has it been like financially? If you feel comfortable talking about it, uh, with oh, insulin no, no, no. therapy and and what it, well, how has that changed through the years and what has it been like for you? I was lucky that my dad had great insurance. Being a police officer, he had good benefits. That's you know they don't get paid well, but they do tend to have 
decent benefits for their family, right? So that was definitely a blessing for me. So I don't know if I could give you a super accurate measure of what it cost in the 90s when I was first diagnosed, but I can tell you that as an adult and that I have seen the prices increase probably about $100 on insulin every year up until last year when my Novolog, which is the insulin I use for my meals, uh, had it was approved basically for a generic. So now my world changed dramatically because a lot, I, I had times where I was working full time and I was maxing out credit cards because the type of insurance that my job happened to have was a high deductible plan. So I, I had to do my deductible before anything would kick in. And at the job I had, it was 10,000 for two people for the year. So trying to cover the cost of insulin and having it be, you know, over a thousand every month until you hit that deductible, which is not easy to do. Yeah. It was a pretty big strain and a, a financial burden. Unfortunately, it is a strain in your marriage, in your life. It can, it can cause a lot of stress and things like that. And so... It, it's been a really big relief to see some of the things that at least in Utah have been enacted where I can now get my, I can get all of the insulin I need yeah. for a month for $15. With fi- and, 15? Yep. And that's, oh, that's amazing. Generic. And everybody's, everybody's insurance is different. So I'm sure there are ones that maybe cover even better or ones that are not as good as that. So, you know look into good but one of the things I had to learn at a young age is that the jobs I took mattered the benefits I got mattered because health insurance for me is a big deal and having gone through an experience where I felt like I had a good job and decent benefits and seeing what a burden that was it took years to work out the the credit card debt and things like that that having to pay for insulin that way created so I can definitely appreciate what your friend is telling you. And there is a lot of truth to that. And it's sad that we choose things that are life-saving medications to make profit on because we know that that's something that people have to use. Yeah. No, that that hurt me deeply to hear. But I'm very happy that in this past year that it's, that it's gotten better. But it hurts me that it has caused burden like that for you and I'm sure many other people for a long time. And I think, I hope that, I mean, I hope that that's something that they'll continue to work on and really look at the way we're doing our healthcare system. And this is not to say I'm not trying to get into politics as far as whether it should be a single payer or privatized or whatever, but I think healthcare should be there with the goal in mind of helping people to thrive and to live. And I think sometimes we get lost when we start making it about capital. Yeah, I yeah, for sure. And I and I appreciate you being able to open up about that. And and I think no matter what someone's political views are, we could all sympathize in in hearing that pains all of us. So so thank you for that. So curious from your experience, what what would be your advice for others? If someone is recently diagnosed with type 1 diabetes or has had it for a couple of years, what's your advice to them? Um, 
Well, I'll go two directions with this. I'll give you what my advice would be for the person with it, and then the purple, the people that are there as a support system or the people that have to interact with the diabetic, because I think both have some important elements in the roles that they play. As a person with diabetes, the advice I would give to others is it's a hard lesson for a lot of us, but you have to learn that sometimes you literally can't help yourself. So learn that it's okay to ask for help. Learn that... It's a, you can be strong and still be fighting battles. Learn that it's okay to, to see things not be perfect. And that can be a struggle for a lot of people because you are constantly hearing about the potential bad outcomes if you're not in control. And so it can be really scary when you're seeing a high or you're seeing things that you worry about what that means for your future. (laughs) And I think the biggest thing is to not give up, to realize and recognize that this is the kind of thing that it's hard and it's not fun and it's not necessarily even fair, but the best thing you can do for yourself and the people that love you is to not give up. I think from the perspective for people that are trying to support or have a loved one with diabetes, I would say the biggest thing for them to remember is to try and remember where their journey ends and where your journey begins. Because as a caretaker, you're going to have a different experience as a parent, as a friend, you know, all those kind of things. I think sometimes it can get easy to get into the how you should do things. And I have had a lot of unwanted, unasked for, and uninformed advice over the years from people who thought they were being helpful and really didn't have enough education about the subject to probably be speaking to me about it. So I think it's important to remember that this is maybe not your journey and you have to be able to allow people to figure it out in their own way and to kind of keep the judgment away. I think it's important to have a good support system and to rely on it. So also give them a space to be able to be frustrated, give them a space to be able to feel sad and upset um, when they have those days. I think understanding and and just remembering to have faith in the person and believe in them and as you can as a caretaker especially for people that are getting little kids you know of theirs diagnosed try to let them own it as much as possible because that's going to be their ultimate thing that they have to do and deal with in life and so the more you can allow them to really take ownership of their own condition and and what the outcomes are the more you're going to see them thrive sure Hmm. Wow. Well, that wonderful. I, I think that was such an inspiring message and terrific advice. Well, Heather, thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Thanks for taking this time to, to talk about it. No problem. Thanks for talking to me, Jake. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll see ya. All right. Talk to you later.